in the year 1970, in the city of San Diego under the Coronado Bridge, light a little piece of land, a little piece of land that the Chicano community of Logan Heights wanted to make into a park. A park where all the chavalitos could come and play in so they wouldn't have to play in the street and get run over by a car. A park where all the viejitos could come in the tarde and just sit down and watch the sun go down. But the city of San Diego said, Chale, we're gonna make a highway patrol substation here. So on April the 22nd, 1970, La Raza of Logan Heights and other Chicano communities got together and they walked on the land and they took it over with their picks and their shovels and they began to build their own park. And today, almost 20 years later, that little piece of land under the Coronado Bridge in San Diego is known to people everywhere as Chicano Park. Orale, Raza, vamos al parque. That's musician, songwriter, educator, activist, and 2013 National Heritage Fellow, Ramon Chunky Sanchez. And this is Artworks, the weekly podcast produced by the National Endowment for the Arts. I'm Josephine Reed. Chunky Sanchez is a cultural icon and a leader of the Chicano community in San Diego. Born in the California town of Blythe to parents who were farm workers, Chunky was taught traditional Mexican music by his mother and uncles, who sang and played the guitar. Growing into a multi-talented musician, Chunky composes, sings, and plays 10 different instruments. Bicultural and often political, his music frequently expresses the cares and concerns of the Chicano community. In fact, Cesar Chavez often asked him to play at marches and rallies for the United Farm Workers Union. And now Chunky continues to use his music in his role as community elder and mentor to local youth. Chunky Sanchez has been the recipient of many awards and honors, including a 2013 National Heritage Fellowship Award. I spoke with him at his hotel the day after he received the Heritage Award from the National Endowment for the Arts. Here's our conversation. First of all, Chunky, congratulations. Thank you very much, Joe. It's wonderful to see you in Washington, D.C. Well, thank you very much. It is my first time here on the, on the East Coast, and it happened to be the capital of the country. Now, you grew up in Southern California along the border, and your mother was very musical. Yes, she was. In fact, she and her brothers used to entertain in their village in Mexico. Yeah, they entertained in the little small towns. Uh, she would tell me about, you know, they would play like for some dances, all acoustic guitars, you know. They would play for some dances, and the first thing they do is sweep the dirt real smooth and water it down. You had to get the dance floor ready, and then by the time the dance started, it was dust in the air, you know, kicking up kicking up dust. I don't know if that's where the, where the term came from. I was just thinking that. I bet that's where the term comes from. When you were growing up, was your mother still playing? Was she still singing? She was still singing more. She wasn't playing because uh, she had a family. She was singing. The times that she would sing was at home, when she was washing the dishes, for instance, and I would always follow her, and I knew she was going to wash dishes, I'd follow her, and I'd stay in the kitchen because I knew she was going to sing. She has such a beautiful voice. I enjoyed listening to it. I began to develop an appreciation, uh, not just for her voice, but for the songs that she sang. She sang a lot of what's called boleros, which are love ballads of the 1930s, the 1940s, old love ballads from Mexico and the Southwest. 
that's where I developed my appreciation for the whole tradition and the art. Now, when did you first begin to start to play an instrument? And I know you play a gazillion instruments. Was the guitar the first? No, I wasn't. I started by playing the trumpet. You're kidding. No, that's why I got lungs. <laughs> I can, I, when I sing, I, I, I can belt it out. Blowing the trumpet had really developed your lungs and your breathing a lot. So that it helped me later when I began to sing. I had an overpowering voice at the time. Right now it's getting a little, little raspy. So your mother had you begin on the trumpet. How did you move to guitar? Uh, listening to my uncles. We had an uncle that ended up staying and living with us in the back in a little house. And uh, my uncle Chema. Jose Maria was his name, but they call him Chema. And he played, and he also drank a lot of wine. <laughs> but he played a lot. He played every day. He grabbed his guitar. That was his love. He began to play and sing. And I'd go back there and sit with him. I just listened to him, and he, he showed me chords. And uh, little by little, I picked that up, and I got some development there. So when I went to San Diego State and joined a, a, what's called La Rondaya, a guitar ensemble, I already had a little prep in it for the songs that they were doing. They were doing love songs, the ballads, like the ones that my mother would sing. And since we were involved with in traveling with Cesar Chavez throughout the, the strikes in the fields and the boycotts in the cities, we uh, learned a lot of strike songs, songs that some of us wrote, songs that were written by other colleagues in California regarding the strike, the grape strike. All the strikes that took place in, in the Imperial Valley, the Coachella Valley, where the first contract was signed, the Central Valley, it's a pretty big valley right there, San Joaquin Valley, and uh, we traveled all those places playing and singing. How important was Cesar Chavez to the Chicano movement? He was very important because, number one, he organized the people. He set forth a movement that was desperately needed at the time. Besides the uh, politics of, of uh, negotiating a contract, he taught us about values, he taught us about environment. He was an environmentalist as well because he was very concerned about the pesticides on the uh, crops and the pesticides that were sprayed by the planes on the crops when a lot of the field hands were in the field actually working. So they, they got a lot of this on their skin. They breathed, they inhaled it. Later on, in many uh, cases, it uh, led to cancer. And when you first heard Cesar Chavez, were you immediately drawn to him? Yeah, because we had heard a lot about him. I grew up as a kid. I grew up with during the Bracero era. So uh, the, the Bracero program was bringing in a lot of farm laborers from, from Mexico at the time. And that's where Cesar Chavez began to organize the farm laborers. And then the first time he came to my hometown, Blythe, to organize the lettuce workers uh, and the farm workers there, it was like a celebrity coming to town, right? So we got our guitars and we went out there with them uh, to help him out in the, on the strikes out in the fields. And uh, that's where we got to know him and where he began to invite us places. And, and there we go. You know, Chunky, your music was so important to the movement in the same way that spirituals were so important to the civil rights movement of the 1960s. Yes, uh-huh. Can you explain how music really becomes central to a social justice movement? Like I said, when we took the guitars to the picket line, things were kind of down. Spiritually, emotionally, if you've ever gone on a strike, you know it's, it's, it's very hard. And sometimes the family doesn't eat 
everything they like to eat. And it's very important because the music began to lift the spirits of the people in, in wanting and remembering that tomorrow's a new day, tomorrow's a new vision, and there's hope for us. We're going to see the light tomorrow. And you, you can get that from listening to a song. It's, we believed it was very powerful. It was like therapy. It was like medicine for the soul. When did you start writing your own songs? I read around that time. La Guitarra Campesina is one of them, the Campesino guitar. The Trilingual Corrido, which is English and Spanish and, and Barrio dialect. So like three different styles of, of languages. We broke all barriers there were. As, as being a Chicano musician, we had no walls. We had no, no, no barriers. We broke them all down and said, well, we're going to try a little English here with this song. Yeah, and add a little Spanish here. Yeah, and how about a little barrio slang? And these things became a reality in our music. And you were one of the first to do it. I mean, now it's considered normal every day. Yeah, exactly. But at the time that we were doing all this, we weren't thinking of trying to make history. or We weren't thinking of getting a, such a prestigious award like we did yesterday by the NEA. We did it because there was a need for it. We had to do it. We felt we had to do it at the time. And the farm worker labor movement inspired us to want to continue doing it to lift up the spirits of the farm workers. And my mother and father were farm workers, so we had a lot of things in common there. Can we have an example of one of the songs? Yeah, I'll do a picket sign. You know what a picket sign is, right? Yeah? So this song's called El Picket Sign which was used uh, uh, while we were uh, walking around singing and holding up the picket signs. Huelga, huelga Desde Texas a California Campesinos están luchando Desde Texas a California Campesinos están luchando Los rancheros a llore y llore Huelga y están bien pandos El picket sign, el picket sign Lo llevo por todo el día El picket sign, el picket sign Conmigo toda la vida Y ahora organizando La gente en todos los files Y ahora organizando La gente en todos los files siguen comiendo tortillas con puros chiles el picket sign el picket sign lo llevo por todo el día el picket sign el picket sign conmigo toda la vida el picket sign el picket sign lo llevo por todo el día el picket sign el picket sign Conmigo toda la vida. Viva la huelga. That's great. That's great. I bet that kept people more. Oh, yeah. And uh, usually after the song was over like that, you'd hear the campesinos themselves yell and scream, Viva la huelga. Que viva César Chavez. And then they would say, Abajo. Tell me about Chicano Park. Chicano Park, uh, in 1970, I was 18 years old, I believe, and I, I went to San Diego. What happened was the, the people had been asking for a park for a long time, and the park kept promising a park. 
And then when the bulldozers began grading, the young man by the name of Mario Solis walked by and stopped one of them and asked him, are you guys grading for the park? And they said, no, we're grading for a highway patrol substation. And uh, we all united. Uh, and then when I say all, I mean members of the community from young to old, schools that walked out, and just any realms of life. You can think of people around there, you know, cannery workers, uh, shipbuilders, uh, ex-Vietnam veterans, you know, locked arms and walked across the street and stopped the bulldozers. And we stopped the, the bulldozers that, that day. And the police came. Some people were arrested. But some of the uh, elderly people brought symbolic plants to plant there to demonstrate that what we want in that area was a park, not a substation full of blacktop and concrete. There was enough of that already in the area. You know, we needed a park for the kids, for the families. Parks are very important to a community because that's where people conglomerate. The families come together on holidays or just on a Sunday to celebrate the spirit of life itself. And Chicano Park was an example of that. It was taken over on April 22nd, 1970. They had to go fight it before the uh, California State Supreme Court. And they finally voted in the end that the land be designated for a park. It, it was a big victory, but we didn't realize till later that was only the beginning, developing a park. Chicano Park was very important for the movement, wasn't it? Yeah, Chicano Park was very important because it taught us that if you want something in life, you have to work for it. You have to struggle for it. Nothing's going to be handed to you on a silver platter. And that's what it taught us. And that's what we're trying to teach and pass on to the kids, you know, especially in the realms of education. And, and that's what Chicano Park has taught us, those type of values. And it was done through culture because the mural projects came in a year later. There was a beautiful, beautiful exhibition of murals on the pillars of the Coronado Bridge. Uh, one of the artists stated, he looked down there under the bridge and said, you know, these gray pillars look very cold and very ugly. It looks like an urban forest. We have to walk under here every day to go to church, to go to the store, to go to school. Why not beautify them? So thus began the mural projects. The artists began to come together and began painting murals. And we just renovated about 10 murals last year. And it also gave birth to more than one song, including Chicano Park Samba. Yeah, yeah, there you go. We shall continue to live, my brother. We shall continue to fight, my friend. We shall continue to live, my brother. We shall continue to fight, my friend. For Chicano Park, under the Again, we wrote music about the things that we were involved with, uh, the experiences, because we feel that that was also a way to teach the kids through music. A lot of times you notice people can remember things a lot better if they're in, in a poetic sense. I guess just like your rappers would today, things that rhyme, and we felt that a long time ago. because We saw it happen through the music that we were writing about the Chicano movement, Cesar Chavez, and many, many other people. You started working with gangs. Tell me how and when that happened. Well, it was through the city of San Diego. 
It was uh, early 80s. I managed to get selected as, to direct that program, working four different parts of the city of San Diego where gangs were very prevalent. And uh, we, we began to work those areas, trying to slow down the gang killings, killing each other over a neighborhood. That's one of the songs I wrote. I led the program for uh, a little over five years. And in that time, we reduced gang violence by more than 50%. How? What did you do? What was your strategy? By working with these kids, we found out, we tell the neighborhoods, you know what, when you when you mention the word gangs, some people feel like we're talking about aliens from another planet. But a lot of these kids were kids that we saw grow up in the neighborhood. We knew their fathers and mothers and uncles and families. So we work with them along those lines. They're family, they're part of a tribe. So we added a little more love to the work that we did with them. It wasn't easy. Sometimes you had to use tough love, but uh, whatever it took to make it work. We did a lot of uh, speaking and singing in the juvenile detention facilities, mm -hmm. in the juvenile hall, at Campo Detention Facility, and uh, different prisons. I got invited in 1976 to uh, perform in uh, Leavenworth Federal Penitentiary. It's one of the oldest prisons in this country. That must have been an experience. We walked in, and the hallways were like rock, stone. That's how old it is. They were like walking in a cave. That's where I had my first contact with the uh, Native Americans that were involved in the uh, incident at Wounded Knee. They were playing their drum and chanting, and they were all looking up at the sky, and I was look watching them, and it seemed like their spirits were leaving their bodies and just breaking out of the prison. And, and it made me feel like you could incarcerate a person, their body, but you can't incarcerate their soul, their spirit. And culture and music has a lot to do with that. The drumming that they did and the chanting that they did had a lot to do with freeing them from that environment for something they believed in, which was their land and their people. You started a band that your brother then joined. Tell me about it. Los Alacranes, uh, the Scorpions. We did a lot of the same things. We followed a lot of the political movements, played, I, I couldn't even tell you where, you know, everything from, from politicians to uh, prisons to schools, a lot of schools, a lot of colleges. Uh, everywhere there was somebody that, were, that wanted to open up their mind and their hearts and their spirits, we were there. And that's what we try to do with our music. And it was the same music. It was a combination of English and Spanish. And it was music that was also political. Yes. And the music you played was traditional, but not at the same time. Exactly, yeah. Because people were, were very anxious to hear something different than a lot of your popular radio tunes. So when they began to hear what we called Chicano music, it became very popular with a lot of our people in the neighborhoods. And even to this day, I wrote the song Chicano Park many years ago. And to this day, I had people tell me, like, play, the, play me that song. It amazes me. The song's still around. It's still alive. It's still affecting people. That's the power of art and culture. It stays with you for a long time. It develops you as a human being. It gives you character. That's what it seemed to do to all of us. And to the people that we touched. That was our reward. It wasn't trying to get to Hollywood, get a, a Grammy or whatever, which is nice. Everybody would like a Grammy once in a while, but that wasn't our mission. 
the most important thing is realize what your mission is and then fulfill it. And ours was to play and to march with those people that were facing injustices in the courts, in the schools, in the hospitals, everywhere. Uh, you could think of that's where our mission was. And your mission was to tell their story. Exactly, through a song. And they liked it. I think that's what really hit, hit them at home. It's, it's very emotional. It's very emotional. Chunky, I know you spent a lot of your life working in education, and now you're a staff member at the King Chavez School. Yes, I am. I'm a, a community liaison person at King Chavez Elementary, and they, they renamed the auditorium after me. They have been wonderful. They've been great supporters. It's a good school because we, we have a big, beautiful mural there that was done by Sal Barajas, which depicts the farm worker strike, the Chicano movement, the uh, civil rights movement with Dr. Martin Luther King and all these things. And so you're not just teaching the kids academics, but you're also teaching them U.S. history through a different avenue. So we have to examine all those things. And our youth need to get involved in that. And we need to write songs about them. We need to talk about them. We need to sing because we have to bring those things back up in the forefront the music, the art, the culture. So there are many traditions being passed on that remind us of who we, who we are, remind us of our, our parents, our grandparents, and you gain strength by remembering little things like that. Okay, so you go out and you are passing the traditions along and you're teaching Chicano history through your music. How do young people respond to it? For one thing, we feel like they're getting inspired. If it takes a song to stir up the, the juice, uh, then let it be a song. If it takes a mural, let it be a mural. If it takes uh, ceramics, let it be ceramics. See, so It's all re related. It's all interrelated. And that's why I think it's important to teach this in the colleges and the high schools and colleges to give our young people some direction and a true meaning of what has happened in America and what can happen if we all begin to realize that we have more things in common than we do differences. No matter where you come from, no matter what style of music you play, we all have things more in common than we do differences. Chunky, can I have another song? Yeah. How about Rising Souls? Rising Souls. Over a neighborhood 
find out you got a National Heritage Fellowship. Barry called me. Barry Burgey called. Yeah, and uh, told me, and I, it didn't hit me right away. I said, okay, you want me to go to Washington, D.C.? All right, and I hung up, and then I thought, wow. And then uh, I told some people, and they say, do you realize what that is? And I began to open my eyes and say, yeah, that's the highest award you can get to. Uh, it was a surprise. I was not expecting it. And then the fact that I was going to come to Washington, D.C., never been here in my life, you know. All the buildings and everything, I haven't seen them except on, on TV. I know. It looks like a movie set, doesn't it? We got here, and wow, look at the Capitol, man. The Washington Monument uh, being renovated, and the Lincoln Memorial where I'm taking my grandson. I took, well, they took him this morning. Uh, the one was standing in front of the Lincoln Memorial where Dr. King gave a speech, I Have a Dream. And here I am. And and I think the most fulfilling thing that I'm finding here is all the different people I meet from different parts of the country that are so warm, so friendly, so open to wanting to know about you and about what you do. And also them, they have stories too that are very interesting and very intriguing. And also rather humorous too. A lot of them are humorous. And I believe you have to have some humor in your teachings because making people laugh is also like medicine, like therapy. Laughing, you release negative energies. It's another way of touching your heart. Exactly. You can swallow things a lot better when you're laughing. <laughs> Chunky, thank you again for giving me your time, and congratulations again. Thank you, Joe. Thank you so much. Thank you, Washington, D.C. Thank you, NEA. That's musician, songwriter, educator, activist, and 2013 National Heritage Fellow, Ramon Chunky Sanchez. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. To find out how art works in communities across the country, keep checking the Artworks blog, or follow us at NEA Arts on Twitter. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening.
viven, que vivan los barrios unidos. Que vivan, que vivan los barrios unidos. Que vivan, que vivan.